I'm so excited to share the She's Off Script Masterclass series with you. You've asked for more in-depth tools and resources, and we've delivered. Join us on October 24th, starting at 10 a.m. Central for a free virtual Masterclass Summit. For our first summit, we're focused on creating generational wealth. We've lined up some money experts who will give you concrete tools, resources, and advice you can use right away. There'll be no fluff here. Whether you're a side hustler, business owner, or just looking for ways to expand your financial legacy, this summit is for you. To save your free seat, go to masterclass.sewaajpele.com. See you there. Let's say that you really have a heart for helping homeless folks and you want to create an app that helps homeless folks find resources, right? You could go directly to the homeless folks and say, here's a product that you can use. And now like a lot of homeless folks have a phone, something that they're using. So you can go directly to that audience, but it's going to be kind of hard to charge them and to have a business model that really works for you. So then you can ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what kinds of companies or organizations would want to have their own version of this app? And we think, well, there's all sorts of nonprofits who've received millions of dollars in funding to serve these audiences. Why don't we go to them? And what we'll do is we'll white label it. So we'll build the app, take our logo off, put the nonprofit's logo on, find 100 nonprofits, 20 nonprofits, 30 nonprofits, and charge them $10,000 to have the white labeled app. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay-Pele, and welcome to episode 113 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. Have you ever thought about building an app, but then push the idea aside because you didn't want to shell out 10000 or more dollars on a developer? We've actually had a few guests on the show who've talked about paying thousands of dollars to build a platform that ended up not doing anything they paid for. Well, what if I told you that with all the developments of technology, it's now possible to build your own app without knowing how to code? In today's episode, we meet Tara Reed, the founder of Apps Without Code. The first app Tara built without code made $150,000 in revenue, and she was able to raise $300,000 from investors to grow it. Today, Tara has trained over 70,000 aspiring entrepreneurs in 14 countries on how they can launch their own profitable tech businesses. Before we hear the rest of Tara's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Tara's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script with Tara Reed, the founder and CEO of Apps Without Code. Tara Reed, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. For any of our listeners who haven't heard of you before, could you share who you are and what you do? Yeah. Okay. So I am a tech entrepreneur. So before becoming an entrepreneur, I used to lead marketing initiatives at Google, Foursquare, and then Microsoft. So my background is in tech. However, when I was working at those tech companies, I was not the person who was doing the software development or building any of the apps. I was working in the marketing and business side of those companies. And so I had, when I was working at Microsoft, I had an idea for my own app that I wanted to create in my own business that I wanted to create. I actually think at the beginning, I didn't even think of it as an app initially. It was just a business that I wanted to launch. And I launched that company. 
It ended up doing really well. We were generating about like 300 to 400K a year. And I then, as I was sort of building that, which was an art startup. So what we were doing was we were matching people to artwork based on their taste. So if you like paintings or abstract paintings versus photography with portraits, you know, whatever it was that you like, we help people find affordable art. And we matched people to artwork based on their taste. So when I first heard about that app that you launched, I believe it was called Collecto, right? Exactly, yeah. So you built that out of a frustration with your nine to five. And as a non-technical person yourself, could you share what that journey was like actually building the app and then transitioning a few years later, I'm assuming, into entrepreneurship full-time. Yeah, yeah. So the experience building that was interesting. You mentioned that was spot on. Like there were a couple things that I was trying to solve when I launched my first company. I think there were things I was aware of and things I was not aware of. So if I look back, what I was not aware of was that I was just super frustrated with my job at the time. There was all sorts of bureaucracy and like politics, and I just was not here for it. Mm. So I really liked having my own project that I could have autonomy over, right? Like looking back, that was one of the biggest things I was trying to accomplish for myself was having my own creative control and freedom. Uh, which is really different than at the time working on Microsoft Windows, right? Where there's so many people involved. And, but I think at the time in my mind, I had started collecting art and I was thinking about it. And I had started like kind of writing about my journey on a blog, finding art and starting to collect affordable art. And so I was really just sort of scratching my own itch, just solving my own problem to start with. At the point where Collecta was actually generating revenue, how were you able to transition into full-time entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I did two things that were really, that made a big difference in me making that transition. So the first thing was that I actually had applied to, while I was still working, I had applied to this program that was in New York. A guy had, this guy, Gary Chow, had left Union Square Ventures, which is a top VC firm. And he had rented out Kickstarter's old office in New York City and had put, was putting on this program to help people launch their side projects. And so I applied to that program. I got a scholarship to that program. And I was super excited because I had this side project idea at the time. It was just a side project in my mind that I wanted to launch. The problem though was that I did not have... I was in Seattle. I was working in Seattle at the time. So the program's in New York and I'm in Seattle. So I had no idea how... I really didn't think it through. I think through how I was going to do the program. Um, But I ended up getting some... uh, You know how like if you get airline credit cards, they like instantly give you miles? Mm -hmm. So I would uh, get some airline credit cards. They would give me miles so I could do some like free flights and I would fly to New York. And for that summer, I flew to New York every single week. So I flew there on like a Sunday. I was there for Monday because my class on launching my side project was there on Mondays. And I would work for the day in New York remotely. Um, I worked at a tech company at the time, so remote work was already sort of a thing. And, mm-hmm. and so I would take all my meetings remotely on Monday. I would have my class on Monday evening, and then I would fly back to Seattle to be back in the office on Tuesday. And so I did this every week, and oh I was learning gosh. about entrepreneurship. 
So that was the first thing that helped me because I had a class and I had a structure and I had advisors and a coach through that that helped me sort of learn about the basics I needed to know about entrepreneurship. But then on top of that, shortly after that, Microsoft laid off 80,000 people. And so I lost my job in the middle of that too, which looking back, is like the best thing ever that happened to me. I'm not even sure. It would have been so hard for me to like do the push myself. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. And so I'm super glad that both of those things happened because those were the right alignment of things I needed to take it to the next level. So was that in 2014, right about there? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that I often hear people talk about how things aligned, like for you, they were already letting people go. So things that already come together that allowed you to just naturally transition to the next step. So now at this point, you are teaching others to do something similar to what you did with Collecto. But if we could lay the backdrop for our conversation, could you share what the no code movement is and maybe what are some of the narratives around that movement? Yeah. So, so now if we fast forward, I run a company called Apps Without Code. And so I teach people how to do, how to launch their own startup ideas and launch their own apps without having a ton of technical expertise like I didn't have as well. So, so yeah, so this is how this works. You can now create your app idea without being a software engineer or a developer or without spending $10,000, $20,000 to hire someone to build your app. So you can create it yourself. Hmm. And the way that it works is you design the app by like drag, drop, point, click. So you drag what you want onto the screen. Sort of like if you were doing a PowerPoint presentation where you drag what you Mm -hmm. want. And then you logically tell the app what to do in English. So instead of it being in a coding language, it literally says, if the user clicks the button, then log them in. Or if the user clicks the button and the password doesn't match the password on file, then show them the pop-up saying wrong password, right? So you can write it in English as opposed to in some other coding language. It still takes some learning, but the learning curve is way smaller than if you were going to learn to code and it's way cheaper. We're talking about like $29 a month versus the $10,000 or $20,000 you'd spend to hire someone to build it for you. So that's what no code and no code softwares are and what they do. Got it. In theory, that sounds perfect because if I can liken it to a lot of platforms out there that people are familiar with, maybe WordPress, which now has like the WYSIWYG or drag and drop features. So where am I doing this dragging and dropping when I'm building my apps? Yeah. So it depends on what software you're using, Mm -hmm. but usually you'll sign up for a free account. Once you signed up for the free account, a screen will open up and it will allow you to drag things onto the page. So there'll be like a list of things that you can include into your app and you put it on the screen. So there are a bunch of different tools that I personally like. I would say my top three favorites Mm -hmm. are um, Adalo, Glide, and Bubble. Those are the names of the three softwares that I think are the best out there. Um, But that being said, there are all sorts of other tools that are available that do something specific and do the specific thing really well. So those three examples of the softwares I already gave you, they kind of can do any type of app, Mm. but there are also some really good softwares that do a specific type of app. For example, if you want to create your own social network app, there's a software called Mighty Networks that allows you to create your own social network app. By the time, if you start working on it today, you'll be done with the app by the end of the day because it focuses on one thing and it makes the one thing easy 
Whereas those other tools that do the general stuff, there's more to learn because you can do anything with them. Mm -hmm. Whenever there's more features, there's more to learn. When people think about building an app, I think the reason they're thinking about the fact that they need to drop $10,000 to begin with, with a developer is because they are thinking I'm going to build Facebook. So my assumption is your process is helping us build MVPs, like our minimal viable product. Is that Facebook too? You can build Facebook. Okay. The reason people think they have to spend $10,000 is because four years ago you did. And so if they're not staying up on like exactly what's happening in tech, you don't know that just a few in the past few years, everything has changed. But like you can be building products where you can have hundreds of thousands of users, complete complexity, algorithms, augmented reality, all sorts of things without code. So I'm not talking about just like a mock-up or a sample of your app. I'm talking about the real thing that you're charging people money for that's in the app store that's generating revenue. Wow. Okay. So could you walk us through what that looks like practically for maybe one of the students that has been through your, your bootcamp? Yeah. So one of the things that we really do a lot in the training program that I teach called apps.code bootcamp is about how to generate revenue with your idea, because just having a cool app idea is just not enough. Mm -hmm. Just having people like think it's cool, but not want to pay for it. Most of the students that I work with are trying to figure out how to launch an app and generate revenue from it. So One of the ways that we do that is by white labeling. So, and I'll give you some examples of this in a second. But what white labeling means is it is a a particular way to make money from your app. And oftentimes when we think about app, we think about the app that's in the app store that you download. Mm -hmm. That's not the only type of app. For example, if you open up your computer and you go to facebook.com, you're still on their web app, right? You can still log in. It still has all of your information saved, but it's on your computer. Right? Or you can go to the Facebook app on your phone and download it and you can still log in, still have all of your information. So you can have apps on the computer or you can have apps on your phone. Mm-hmm. Right? So one of the ways that you can generate revenue is by white labeling. So what that means is you ask yourself, whatever idea you have for an app, you ask yourself, what kinds of companies or organizations would want to have their own version of this app? What kind of companies or organizations would want to have their own. Because, for example, I have an alumni of our program and he's a music instructor. So what he does is he often will go to schools, middle schools, high schools, and teach their after-school music programs. But he can only be in so many places at once. Like he can only be teaching music class in one school at a time. Mm-hmm. So what he wanted to do originally was to build an app to help Um, parents and students to mainly help young people learn how to compose music, put together songs, have little assignments to learning about music, et cetera. And he wanted to take this app and deliver it directly to the young people, to students and to their parents and charge $5 a month. That was the original plan. However, we first, before he launched, talked about the concept of white labeling, which requires you to ask what kinds of companies or organizations would want to have their own version of this app. Mm-hmm. So he thought about it and he was like, well, actually, I think that schools would want to have their own version, right? They're trying to teach these music classes in class. They often will have their arts budgets cut and they're trying to figure out these like affordable ways to teach music classes in their, in their music programs. And so instead of going after the individual parents, he decided that he was going to white label the app and charge schools. So what white labeling means is you build the app, you take your logo off and you put the customer's logo on. 
So they get to say, hey, look at my cool app. And you say, no problem. You can take credit if you want, as long as you write me a big old check. Mm-hmm. So when you white label, your pricing usually starts at $3,000 and up. Why would someone pay so much for an app? Because their alternative is to go hire a developer to custom build it for them at ten dollars or $20,000. And you can have an unlimited number of customers that you white label for. So he's doing $5,000 and up contracts and has 23 schools in Virginia who have signed contracts with him. So one of the easiest ways to do this is to white label. Wow. Okay. So what's the alternative then to white labeling? The alternative is that you directly charge a customer. What that means is usually individual customers are willing to pay less than a company would. So it means you've got to hustle more for each dollar. And it means that you're building a business that needs lots of customers as opposed to you're fine when you got 10 and you're fine when you got a thousand million. So you need, if you're going to go after individuals, you need more volume of customers to make the business work. If you're going to charge $5, you need a lot of $5 to pay your bills. Got you it. need $5,000 checks to pay your bills and to start thinking about hiring a team and all sorts of things like that. But you can charge however you want. Um, but one of the ways that I find a lot of our students really love is by white labeling their app because it creates a really solid business model for them. It definitely sounds like it. So the latter you pointed out would be going into the app store. Is that right? Well, either way, it can be in the app store. Ah. So the one is charging a regular, regular person. And the other is charging a company or a small business. Those are two ways that you can go. The companies and small businesses often already know that they have a problem. So like, I'll give you a bunch of examples just so you can see how this would play out. Let's say that you really have a heart for helping homeless folks and you want to create an app that helps homeless folks find resources, Mm -hmm. right? You could go directly to the homeless folks and say, here's a product that you can use. Right. And now like a lot of homeless have a phone and something that they're using. Right. So you can go directly to that audience, but it's going to be kind of hard to charge them and to have a business model that really works for you. Right. Mm. So then you can ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what kinds of companies or organizations would want to have their own version of this app? It could be an app in the app store. It's, we're still talking about apps in the app store. So it could be anywhere. Mm. Right. But what kind of company or organization would want to have their own version? And we think, well, there's all sorts of nonprofits who've received millions of dollars in funding to serve these audiences. Why don't we go to them? And what we'll do is we'll white label it. So we'll build the app, take our logo off, put the nonprofit's logo on, find 100 nonprofits, 20 nonprofits, 30 nonprofits, and charge them $10,000 to have the white labeled app, or $5,000 or $3,000 to have the white labeled app. So, like, that's another example, right? And we can go on pretty much any business idea. You can take your app idea and ask yourself what kinds of companies or organizations would like to have their own version and create a model where the checks are coming now as opposed to you doing it $5 at a time. And if you don't like that model, then you do the $5 at a time. You do a $5 subscription, 99 cent subscription. But I personally do not do my... When I launch my own apps, I don't do 99 cent apps. There's a lot of 99 cents I need to pay my bills. And so as a business model, I just personally don't like it. I would definitely agree with that. Now, in talking to developers, I would say one of the pain points I often hear them talk about is the fact that it's difficult for their customers to convey whatever concept they're imagining in their minds. And so what is your process for teaching people that skill, the skill of being able to imagine what they want to build and actually put it 
on paper and convey it in a way that makes it easy for them to build? Yeah. Uh, the, there are a couple ways. The first way is to pretend that you're describing your app idea to an eight-year-old. So really dumb it down. The majority of the reason that people are, have a hard time articulating all the details of their app ideas is because they're trying to be too fancy in their language. So let me give you a couple examples. Let me use some like apps that you already know that we think of as like sophisticated apps, but really you explain it to an eight-year-old, they're pretty simple, right? Particularly if you think about the first version. So let's think about Facebook, right? Facebook has, if we're talking complicated, has an algorithm that shows you different posts at different times. And sometimes it shows you an ad and it's really fancy and does all these things. But really at the core at Facebook, you can post updates, you can follow friends and you can like their posts. Take the three most important actions. If it, if it does those three things, it's still Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another one, YouTube. You can upload videos, you can follow channels, and you can comment on videos. Straightforward. Right. So you want to keep your explanation of it straightforward. What are the three most important actions that your app needs to do? Right. View lessons, complete assignments, get graded on their lessons. Right. So whatever it is that your app does, there are three most important things. If you were explaining it to like an eight-year-old, you want to write it that way. Usually I find that when people are talking to developers, the biggest thing that gets them caught up, and when I say caught up, meaning they said A, but the developer heard Z, and now they've built something completely different from what you intended, is because the, the creator, the ideator, the person who came up with the idea, wasn't thinking about explaining it in really simplistic terms. They were like, here's all the fancy stuff that I need to do. And it is fancy, but you have to explain it simply because at the end of the day, like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this concept of like computers understanding ones and zeros. So code, traditionally, if you're writing code, code gets translated into ones and zeros, meaning a computer can only understand one and zero. What does one and zero mean? Do this, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Do this is one, don't do this is zero. So a computer understands if this happens, do this or don't do this. If this scenario happens, do this or don't do this. So you really have to like dumb down your idea because the developer is going to have to dumb it down in theory to get the computer to understand it. Computers are not actually that smart. They understand do this or don't do this. So you have to be really clear of your own vision of what you wanted to do, do this or don't do this. Hmm. So I feel as though apps without code and really the movement is operating maybe in a space that's a bit of a paradigm shift where people are still wrapping their minds around the fact that they can in fact build complicated apps without the help of a software developer. So have you had any challenges with convincing people of the fact that you can build Facebook without a developer and without knowing code? I used to, when I started in 2014, I definitely, it was so new that there were so many skeptics about like if it was possible and what was possible. And the number one skeptic is usually maybe someone who's a developer themselves, where there is a narrative around like, you can't do that. You can't do that this this much without code. Um, And I think in some ways, like there are developers who feel a little bit threatened by no code, right? I feel like it's going to take my job. Mm -hmm. I don't see it that way. I think that it's just going to grow the pie. 
there's just going to be more people who can build apps. And likely what will happen is there will be a lot more customers for developers just because people will build their first version. Not all of us will love building it ourselves. And eventually once we're generating revenue with it, we now have money to go pay the developer just to continue managing it for us if you want to do that, right? On my team, we hire no-code developers, but still we use, I built something myself. I created, it's generating some revenue. Now I have some money to go hire someone to help me, right? So yes, definitely have people who don't believe it's possible. Um, My advice is to go play around with some of the tools. They're so robust and have so much capability. Um, My first app was an algorithm that matched it, that scraped artwork from the internet pulled it into the app and matched people to artwork based on their tapes through an algorithm. And this was in 2014. This is like not even what's possible today. Hmm. So you, you mentioned your team and I think I, I read a stat somewhere that said you've trained over 70,000 entrepreneurs in 14 countries. Is that accurate? Wow. I mean, that just seems like a huge departure from that initial class of five that you had when you first started. So yeah. how have you been able to scale your business in order to reach so many more people? Yeah, we primarily run advertising on Facebook and Instagram and we invite people to a free class because to your point, lots of people are like, I've never seen this before. I don't even know how this works. Can you show me an example? A lot of this is really visual. It mm-hmm. helps to see example. And so what we do is on that free training, we show people exactly what the tool looks like, exactly what our favorite tools are. You see me actually building a piece of an app right there in front of you. So you get to see how this works. And then we also talk through lots of examples of business models and it's interactive and I help people come up with ideas for their own businesses. So I have this free class that I do, um, which we get to train lots and lots of folks over the past five years on how to build apps in that code. Okay. And then you also mentioned a team. So you've gone from just you to, I'm sure, a support system. So what does that structure look like? Yeah. So there are 19 people on my team now. Um, And we're in six different countries. We're all remote. None of us live in the same city. So we have a completely remote team. Um, And it's amazing. I have a couple different teams on my company. I have an education team and they specifically work with the students that are in our eight-week intensive training program. So after you do that free class, for those who are interested, I have a more intensive training program where we walk you through step-by-step everything you need to do to launch a product. So the, I have an education team. I also have a marketing team. I also have an agency team. So if you want us to build the app for you, we'll, we're happy to do that as well. So that's also another offering. We do it without code, and then we teach you how to make your own no-code changes to it. So you don't have to keep shelling out money to a developer. Oh, I love that. So what is next for Apps Without Code? Yeah, I, we're going to continue building and sharing this with people, right? I think that there are so many people who don't know that it is possible to build your own app yet. And I think there's a really far way to go to make sure that everybody knows that's an option. Just like I think This movement happened years ago with websites where I think most people now know that if you want to start your own website or your own blog, it is possible to do without hiring a developer. Mm -hmm. There's still people though that I run into that don't know that, right? So I think that there's a lot more to do um, when it comes to apps and letting people know that this is an option for them and also an option for generating revenue and creating a whole business for themselves. Oh, I love it. So if people want to connect with you after they hear this episode, where, where can we find you? 
So you can find me on any social platform, Instagram, mainly and Twitter at Tara Reed underscore R-E-E-D. And then also I have a free workshop that I mentioned earlier that I do. So if you want to check that out, you can go to workshop.appswithoutcode.com. Great. Thank you so much, Tara. I really appreciate all of this. You've definitely opened my eyes and my mind to something new. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.